0: His divine power, 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 3, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Whoa, did you catch that? All right, everything he's just said, because of that, here's everything now he's calling us to. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We can stop there. All right, let's look at the virtues in verses 5 through 7. And as we do that, remember, this is not... Um, a linear list. In other words, you don't have to uh, go to the first one, get all, you know, leveled off on that at a certain point, and then you can go on to the second one. God is is working all of these in us uh, all the time. But there is a significance here in this list that faith is first and love is last. Again, faith is the foundation. We've got to have salvation. We've got to have his divine power at work in us to make anything, any of these virtues real in our life, we can have a form of these, as Pastor Foster talked about last week. You can kind of will self control, but it's not godly self control. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't come from God. Same is going to be true with brotherly affection and love here today. So faith is a foundation, but then love is the capstone. Love is the, the ultimate expression of our faith. You could say if all the other virtues are working to their max, it just looks like love. He says, all these virtues are heading us towards love. He wrote in 1 Peter, the end of all things is at hand. In other words, Jesus could come back at any point now. So above all, he says, keep loving one another. In Colossians 3, Paul lays out a very similar list of virtues to strive for here as as Peter does. And he says, after all those virtues, he says, above all these, put on love. Because love binds all these other virtues together in perfect harmony. And of course, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul's talking about using our spiritual gifts, he says, even if we do that, we're using our spiritual gifts, this divine endowment we've been given for the specifically for the building up of the body of Christ. If we don't use those or do anything in love, then it's meaningless, right? It's, it's ineffective. It's unfruitful. So Peter's calling us to love. Paul says it too. John says it all over the place. We're not even going to get into John today. The writer of Hebrews says it. They all say it because Jesus said it, right? As, as Pastor Jared just prayed, Jesus says we will be known as disciples by our love for one another, right? Jesus' disciples love one another, and, and the world will know. Because we love one another. The greatest commandment, right? Love God, love others. So, as we aim to grow in love, as we look at this today, I think it's gonna help us to kind of chase down three things. What is it, biblically? There's lots of things that the world defines as love. What does the Bible, what does God define as love? What does it look like? And then, why is it the ultimate expression of our faith? And practically, are there some steps we can take to grow in it? So that's where we're headed this morning. Let's look at the first one. What is it? What is biblical love? What are these two kinds, specifically of biblical love, that Peter is calling us to? So if you look at that list of virtues again in verses 5 through 7, what's unique about the last two, brotherly affection and love, is that those are the only two virtues in the list that are directed outward, aren't they? That they're, they're actions, they're relational. The other virtues are nouns. Love is a noun and a verb. You can't steadfast somebody. I can't knowledge you, but I can can love you. The other virtues are personal. I can do these, me and God, kind of alone, but loving ultimately is, is a relational thing. So as God matures us inwardly, He wants that to flow out of us in action to others. As we grow, we overflow. I tried to work a Pastor Jared little catchy saying in there. Does that that count? Okay, as we grow, we overflow. It sounds like something he would say. So biblical love is both a virtue and an action. Let's, Let's keep that in mind as we look through this. We're called to work at growing in the character of love and then also in actually the practice of loving. All right, brotherly love and affection is the first form of love that Peter is calling us to make every effort to obtain here. So what does this mean? Well, the Greek word is Philadelphia, which means city of brotherly love. Right? Literally means affection for the brethren. So, if they can name a city after that, it's probably not an exclusively Christian term. In fact, in the New Testament, it, it kind of carries the same idea as it does uh, in our culture today. In that, I'm a, uh, you know, we are brothers. I'm your brother. I'm. You're my sister. If we have something in common. With each other, some kind of a affection, some kind of draws us together. That could be that we're both members of like the same golf club or biker gang, or we like the same sports team. Uh, I happen to be uh, an Indianapolis uh, sports team fan, which normally is fine, right in the in the Hoosier state, except in this area, right here, right? It's all Bulls and Bears and all that. Um, when the Colts won the Super Bowl, I was watching it with a, a room full of Bears fans. And we, I just kind of had, my wife and I, we had, had, to, had to be quiet. And then we, when we left that night, we got in the car, and the first thing we did was turn each other and went, yeah! Right? So, um, but it can be even that uh, level of, of, of stuff. If, if there's anybody, a Colts fan or even a Pacers fan, which is even harder to find around here, I'd, I'd love to talk to you out in the comments afterwards. Yes! My brother! Oh, Okay. As Christians, we're we're called to take that kind of natural affection that we have for each other and we're called to apply that to our shared relationship with Christ. And because this is Christ and not just some sports team, we're called to have that as the uh, the main thing, right? To, To have that connection mean more than anything else above every other commonality that we have, including Republican and Democrat, including black or white, including male or female. All of those things says, God says that in Christ supersedes all of those. And we're to love one another based on that truth, our common unity, our community in Him. I'm sure you've experienced this mainly, hopefully, with maybe a stranger. You've met somebody when you're traveling or you're just getting to know somebody. And you're talking and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, are you a Christian? Are we? And there's that that instant kind of affection, connection there. Immediate feeling because of your common bond in Christ. And when we're talking about brotherly affection. We're talking about natural feeling and emotion. There's something about you, something about me, that naturally draws us to one another. And again, for Christians, that's Christ above all else. In fact, 1 John three fourteen says, this is actually an evidence of our salvation. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers and sisters In Christ could be a red flag right so if you if you consider yourself a brother or sister in Christ but you have nothing like you feel nothing with another brother or sister in Christ honestly question your salvation because there should be a natural affection that rises up in you especially if you're in Christ together but if Christ is our common bond how much more significant and impactful should and can our relationships with one another be we are very well set up to advance to the next kind of love that Peter calls us to, and that's agape love. And you can define this as Christian love for everyone. And this is the more general word for love. It's not an exclusively Christian term either, but the biblical writers kind of made it so they adopted it, and they, they used this term most often to describe the kind of love that they had discovered in Jesus. So Christian agape... It's more an act of the will than it is a feeling or an affection. Not in a cold way, though, right? In a way that brings good and brings uh, benevolence and brings charity. In brotherly love, again, there's something about you, something about me, just draws our affection to each other. But agape love chooses to love because it chooses to love. Not because the object of love is worthy or deserving in any sort of way. So this will encompass brotherly love, but then it goes above and beyond. Maybe a good definition is this, a deliberate desire and a sacrificial action for the highest good of another. I'm gonna will the good of another. And this is the kind of selfless love that scripture says God has for us. When we were still sinners, enemies of God, nothing that God could look at us and go, well, they deserve it, right? He died for us. For God so loved the world he gave. And as Christians, we're called to have this love for everyone, inside the body of Christ, outside the body of Christ. They don't have to be Colts fans. They don't have to be Christians. They can be jerks. They can be enemies. They can be your persecutors. And we are called to love them with the love based solely on who God is, not on who they are. So what does this kind of love look like? As we talk about that this morning, I want to keep this in-house. What I mean is I want to focus the rest of our time today on both of these types of love, but I want to keep it within the body of Christ. I know at the heart the church is a missional organization, but I truly believe that that begins by making disciples of one another, and if love is the fullest expression of our faith, and that means loving one another well in the body of Christ. Again, this is how Jesus said the world's going to know we're his and how they're going to know that he loves them like he loves us. Loving each other well is a witness to the world. I love what Pastor H.B. Charles said, the church today must show the world the difference Jesus makes. It doesn't happen through large buildings, celebrity leaders, ministry programs, business techniques, or even local outreach. It happens by loving one another. All those other things are good. We can do those to a certain extent, right? But not if we're not loving one another well. But so often we put those other things above loving one another well, don't we? And then you throw in, COVID and politics, and it just gets really hard. But if we struggle to love each other well as brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we going to love our neighbor well? How are we going to love our enemies well? So toward that this morning, I just want us to focus on growing in our love for one another. So what does brotherly love and agape look like as we focus on that? Five key characteristics from the New Testament. Number one, biblical love is devoted love. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. In the Greek, it's literally in your brotherly love, be devoted. The word devoted describes the deep bond of a family. Like the love of a parent for their child. If you're a parent, think of the love you have for your child. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. We cherish them, we're committed to them. Yes, we have a a natural, friendly affection for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's good, and we should have that. But what he's saying is take that now and make it into a true family bond. Truly care for one another. Go from friendship to family. You could say to go from handshakes to to hugs. In fact, to help us remember this a little bit more, I'm going to call this huggy love. Maybe you won't remember devoted, but devoted love is is huggy love. And I'm not talking about the kind that, you know, you meet somebody for the first time, I'm just going to hug you. I'm a hugger. I'm just going to... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually, you know, a caring, huggy kind of love. This is the idea, you know, when you read in Scripture, greet one another with a holy kiss. It wasn't just a greeting. That's why he's talking about that. This is uh, family love. Paul wants the church to realize that spiritually... There's no deeper bond. We are, we are sons and daughters of the Father, and therefore we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a true family. So he says, now go love like a true family. I don't know what that might look like for you to take a step in that direction or deeper in this direction. But whatever that is, what's it look like toward a deeper, devoted, committed, and caring affection? Uh, this is something you can You can command. How do you command just, I don't feel it, right? Well, evidently, God's big enough to, to work that in us. In other places in Scripture, we're commanded to, to rejoice. We're commanded to weep. We are commanded to love one another with a devoted family love. As we go through each one of these this morning, I'll have a bottom line question for you. Here's the one for this one. Am I working towards devoted brotherly love? What can I do to take a step in that direction? Am I working towards devoted brotherly love? Biblical love is devoted. Number two, biblical love is sincere love. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22. You can flip there. We're going to be there for the next few of these here. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. The Greek word means without hypocrisy. It's the same word in Romans 12.9 when he says, let love be genuine or let love be un." hypocritical. We get our English word sincere from the Latin sine cara, which literally means without wax. What is that? <laughs> Evidently back in, the, back in the ancient times, you know, there's these sculptors and they'd obviously sculpt these big, beautiful marble statues. Well, what are you going to do when you're about done with your big, beautiful marble statue you've been working on forever and a piece breaks off? Or maybe a few multiple pieces have broken off. Well, some of the unscrupulous sculptors, evidently, they would take some marble dust, they'd mix it with some wax, and they'd just fill in. They'd just kind of patch it up. And then they'd, they'd pass it off as genuine. Oh, no, no problems, here we go. It was so much of a problem that the, the sculptors with integrity, they would, as they were selling their wares, they would actually put a sign out in front, sine care, without wax. Like, this is the genuine deal. So we're going to call this kind of love unwaxy love. Sincere love is unwaxy love. Am I sincere or am I filling in authentic love with a fake substitute? You know, ministry's second career for me, when I went uh, uh, into vocational ministry, I kind of stopped playing on the worship team, but that was my thing uh, before vocational ministry. I would serve here on the worship team. I was a drummer. And I would look forward every Sunday to, to coming in and, and, and leading the congregation in worship. And if somebody asked me, you know, what, what's your goal here? I just want to love my brothers and sisters in the church well by leading them in, in worship, helping them glorify God. But if I'm honest, that was part of it, hopefully a lot of it. But some of it was, I also wanted them to walk out of worship going, man, that band was good, right? That drummer's got some chops. I right? mean, he's pretty good. That's waxy. <laughs> okay, I wanted want to see God, but I also wanted to see me. That's waxy love. And sometimes I think I was doing it without even realizing I was doing it. It just kind of became part of it. I wonder if if you're loving in some waxy ways without even realizing you're doing it. What's my motive? Bottom line question: Am I faking biblical love? in any of my relationships? Or am I sincere? Devoted love, sincere love. Number three, biblical love is fervent love. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly or fervently. The Greek word means to stretch a muscle out to its capacity, fully stretch, maximum potential. This is where we get the English terms tense and tension. And it means to go all out. Paul says in a race, All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. Run that you may obtain the prize. Can you see the Olympic sprinter just straining at the finish line? All the muscles tensing, straining to try to get the prize. Fervent love is where our affectionate, even our devoted brotherly love can mature into sacrificial agape love. Peter uses the same term in 1 Peter 4:8 when he says above all keep loving one another fervently and he says since love covers a multitude of sins fervent love stretches over sin my sin your sin it doesn't make the sin go away but it overcomes it it's not an emotion this love is an act of the will i've got to decide to love in this way Regardless, the wounds of a friend or a brother and sister in Christ hurt way more than those of a stranger, don't they? Somebody that should be loving me well and is not, that hurts. I need, I need love to cover over that. In fact, I, I think about that when Pastor Steve has preached on this in the past. He's called it stretchy love, so let's just call it that. Fervent love is, is stretchy love. And we've got huggy love, unwaxy love, and stretchy love. Jesus said it's pretty easy to love those who are loving on you, but to love somebody who has wronged you, to love your enemies, that's, that's a stretch, right? But that's what we're called to do. It covers sins committed against me. It covers my sin. When I when I'm sh- should be loving somebody well and I drop the ball, or when I have the opportunity to love somebody well and I just don't, And it covers the sin that makes this broken world just a struggle to live in, right? This this world is broken. Relationships, internal struggles, external struggles. Life is hard and sin is constantly at work pulling us away from God, pulling us away from one another. We need the fervent love that Hebrews 3 describes. Exhort one another. Support one another, encourage one another, love one another, exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin lies. Sin tries to pull us away from each other and from God. What do I do? Somebody sins against me. Somebody should be loving me well. Fervent love says I will sacrifice. I won't hold that against him. I gonna overcome that. I'll stretch love over that to see Christ formed in them. Because that's that's higher desire than than trying to right a wrong, or walking away just ticked off that my brother or sister in Christ did this. Now I'm gonna sacrifice for you to see Christ formed in you, because you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. This kind of love is hard. This is hard. Folks, this is more than just attending church on Sunday morning waving to somebody. This is more than being in a, a Bible study together, a small group together. This is more than sharing a meal or taking each other meals. This is more than just praying for each other. All those things are good. We should do all those things. We can do every single one of those things without selfless, fervent love. Every single one of them. Let me be a little transparent this morning. I honestly believe that this is the main thing that's holding us back discipleship-wise at Bethel Church. I really do. I think this is a missing ingredient in our discipleship, and especially, generally speaking, I'm talking about in our small groups, at least in the small groups ministry. And I'm pointing the finger right at myself there. That's, that's the area that I oversee. I want us to grow in this so bad. I want to grow in this. There's some groups, there's some, there's some relationships that are really doing this well. I want to learn from them. I want us to learn from them. I want us to love one another full out with the love God calls us to have. If you're a small group leader in the room, I just, I hope a year or two years from now, like I am so tired of Pastor Chris talking about loving one another. Well, he just, it's all he talks about. Then I'll know we're getting the ball down the road a little bit, if we can do that. Fervent love is the kind of love Paul Tripp had in mind, I think, when he wrote When we fail to love one another well, we are taking relationships that belong to God and we're using them for our own selfish purposes. The relationships God gives us are not mere luxuries for our own happiness or comfort. Woo, when I first heard that, that was a dagger. He's talking about how God wants to use our relationships for the building up of the body of Christ and for His glory. Do you think of your relationships in that way, in that Romans 12 kind What do we do in response to the gospel? Well, our entire life is a living sacrifice, including our relationships. Your relationships do not belong to you. They belong to God. Am I consuming? Do I think those relationships are mine? Am I more of a giver in relationships? Are they God's? And I'm there to love more than to be love more than to get bottom line question on this one then am i going all out in loving others what's holding me back if not is it just selfishness apathy a lot of it's probably busyness i don't just have i don't have time to love like this i got my schedule's full right this is going to cost me some time and effort this sounds painful all of those yeah but God calls us to love one another like that. Number four, biblical love is pure love. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another fervently from a pure heart. The devotion, the sincerity, the the intensity of Christian love all have a pure heart at their source, a heart that's been made new and is continually being made new by, by God. In my own strength, I stink at this. I can't do it. I'm a terrible source of love, the ability for huggy love and and, and unwaxy love and stretchy love, all that, the source has to come from God. It can't come from me. I don't even have a cute name for this one. We're just going to call this godly love because that's what it is. This is where agape love comes from. Here's the amazing thing. This highest love, this agape love, this selfless love, this ultimate expression of our faith, God says, is actually possible for us. We can get way far down the road on this one because our souls, 1 Peter 1.22 says, have been purified by our obedience to the truth. This is our salvation. We are now in Christ because we have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness and we have access to God's nature through his spirit, our passage this morning says. We have God's capacity to love, we have God's ability to love. We are connected in that. We're not the source of that, but God is working that in us and through us. And here's the question, right? Do we, do we actually believe this? I mean, two weeks ago, Pastor Jared talked about head, heart, hands. Right? We know this stuff up here, but that's got to get down here. We got to believe it. When I believe it, when I say believe it, I mean we got to trust it, like actually trust it enough to take action on it. Head heart and hands it's no wonder in our passage today a little further down 2nd peter 1 9 says whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind in other words my head is just down here i am all into myself or the world or whatever it is and i'm not looking up at god i need to put my eyes fix my eyes on jesus and if i'm all the way down here i might as well be blind I might as well be like one who doesn't even know Christ. He says he's forgotten that he was cleansed. Same word as pure, by the way, because I'm a new creation in Christ. I have God's power within me. I've been cleansed from my former sins. Jesus in John 15 says to his disciples, already you are clean, same word again, pure, because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, you now have the source. Now, how do we love from that source? Jesus says, abide. Abide in me, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't love like this. Bottom line is God the source and strength of my loving. Am I honestly just trying to do this thing out of my own strength? I know I should do it, so I'm just going to go try to do it. God says you can't do it. You can't do it. We've got to stay connected to the source. Last one. Biblical love, and I'm just putting for this one, is 1 Corinthians 13. Because <laughs> it's got all these other characteristics of what love is. We can't talk about biblical love without talking about 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, right? And we shouldn't. It's a beautiful description of what love is like. I know you've heard it at a wedding, probably multiple weddings, probably your own wedding. I've heard it at weddings. I've read it at weddings. It's a great scripture for a wedding. The context in scripture is not marriage. Context in scripture is ministry. The context in scripture is the body of Christ, one anothering each other well. I'm going to read it. And as I do, I just, I want it to wash over you. And I want you to think of it in terms of your relationships with each other here at Bethel Church. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what biblical love looks like. But actually, that's what Jesus looks like, isn't it? You can, you can read this passage and substitute Jesus for the word love in every single one of these. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. And that answers the question that we, we posed at the beginning, right? Why, why, is, why is love the fullest expression of our faith? Because Jesus is love. He doesn't give us a strategy. He gives us a, a person. He gives us himself. God is love. It is one of the defining attributes of God according to 1 John 4. It's who he is. And if it's who he is, if love is at the core of his nature and we're now partakers of that divine nature, then that means we are connected to love himself. Not some theoretical concept, but a person. So as he transforms us into the likeness of Christ, Romans 8, then love is where we're headed. And if that's who he is, that's what he does. Right? God's lo- God loves because he is love. So as he grows his love in us, we become more loving. We're going to love more. It's going to overflow out from us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? This is who we are in Christ. To close, I just want to give you just a couple of next steps to take at, at making every effort to grow in love. Go back to a passage. These aren't on the screen. You can write them down if you want to. I'll just We'll call this Learn from Jesus. Go back to a passage like 1 Corinthians 13. Substitute Jesus for every one of those. And then just go to the Gospels and start reading through. If Jesus is love and everything he thought, everything he said, everything he did, that's love in action. That's what love looks like. Go and look and see. Have Jesus teach you what love is. We might be surprised at what it looks like. Learn from Jesus. And then abide in Jesus, right? Apart from him, we can do nothing. How do we do that? Remember that habits of grace sermon series we did like last fall? We 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 worship. We we dig into to scripture together. We get into discipleship community, one another community together. We 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 prayer we, we pray together. We the whole idea is that God's God's grace is flowing to us in all these different ways. We just need to put ourselves in the in the path of the flow, right? We can't we can't grow these in us. God says Here's, here's the grace. Here's where it is. Here's how it works. I'm here. We've got to step into those and plug in and abide through our habits of, of grace. And lastly, just go do it. Just go love. Love is way more art than, than science, isn't it? As Pastor Foster said last week, there's no like five-step uh, program, and then you have biblical self-control. There's no five-step program, and then you've got biblical love. Again, he gives us himself. We walk The Spirit, and know when we do, no effort to love like this is ever wasted. It glorifies God, and we can trust fully that He is working in us and through us as we make every effort to love like this. We're never going to love perfectly, never going to be fully transformed to the side of heaven to be able to do that. But He has promised one of His great and precious promises He's going to continue what He started in us. Do we really believe that we can and we will, by God's strength, be people who love one another well?